Hi, and welcome to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're talking to Harman Sandu about stakeholder engagement. Harman, let's start by talking about the importance of identifying stakeholders. Yeah, so I work as a project manager, and as a project manager, it's important to identify both external and internal stakeholders at the onset of a project. I previously worked as a project monitor in lender services, and previous to that, as a cost consultant doing estimates. And in both of those roles, I still needed to identify stakeholders, but typically we're dealing with internal stakeholders. There is a client external, uh, but if I was working as a, you know, at the beginning of my career as a junior um, staff member, and for any junior staff member uh, staff that are working in those fields, you your your stakeholder is the person that you're working with, your consultant, your senior consultant, whoever you report to. As you advance in your career, there's additional stakeholders that you need to identify and understand their role in the project, their needs. So as a project manager, we want the onset of a project, we need to identify, like I said, the internal and external stakeholders. And this can be everyone from your team, your project coordinators, your director that you report to uh, externally to the clients, who are the members in the different who are the different players on the client side, the consultant team, the contractor, and even the general public, because the general public is oftentimes affected by our projects. Who do you engage with first, and what does that look like? For sure. So the first stakeholder you're going to be, you're typically going to encounter is your client. So the the owner, we act as owner's representatives um, as a project management consultant. So first and foremost, you want to identify the role of the client and their employees. So whether it be you're working with directly with one uh, person on the client side or an entire team um, and identifying what are their different roles, who needs to be communicated to on a regular basis, who needs to be informed, who needs to be involved in decision-making processes. It's really important to put yourself in the, kind of see the project from their perspective and understand, empathize with their needs so that you can better uh, facilitate, you know, um, servicing them. How does the engagement change depending on who you're dealing with as a stakeholder? So it's important to identify for sure how sophisticated your client is with the project type that you're dealing with. So you might have a project that is dealing with something that is very specific to their industry. And so they have a lot of institutional knowledge. They have a lot of support in the organization, in which case you can rely on that stakeholder and you should rely on that stakeholder for downloading a lot of that information. On the other hand, you might be dealing with a client that is a first time developer who is building a project that is outside of their field. You know, maybe it's a doctor who's building a new clinic, somebody who doesn't have time to be involved as well and maybe doesn't have the experience, in which case you need to now be a resource for them to rely on. You need to know how much they need to be involved, how much information to pass on to them, and how to distill that information so that they can best understand it and make decisions. Our job as project managers isn't ultimately to make the decisions. Uh, as much as we like to kind of take on that role, our job is to guide the decisions, make recommendations, and ultimately execute what the decisions are from the client-side stakeholders. What does engagement look like with a less experienced stakeholder, say that doctor who's building a clinic? When you first start working with a client, like I said, you want to identify how much knowledge that they have and how much they want to be kept informed. So let's start from the beginning of a project. So if we come on, let's say on a project, for example, on um, 
you know, right at the onset of design development, we're talking about conceptual, um, then we need to make sure that we're putting together the right team that is going to help the client understand what kind of decisions they need to make and how they're going to achieve their goal. Oftentimes with an with a inexperienced uh, developer or owner, they might not even have, they might have the ultimate idea of what they want to achieve, but how to get there, the, the milestone goals are typically more vague. So not understanding, you know, functional programming as an example, you know, deciding how, you know, you have a parcel of land, let's say it's a green build, and how to fill that land. So we need to be in a position to put together the right team to recommend. Sometimes we come on and the team is already in place. So it's just guiding that team to be able to provide, let's say, an inexperienced owner the right information so they can make the right decisions. So a, a big part when, we, when we're dealing with maybe a first-time developer is knowing how much, to, how much of a hand to have in guiding towards you know information so almost like putting up guardrails for instance um, and uh, making sure we're not getting off track and you know avoiding scope creep that kind of thing how do you deal with scope creep with an inexperienced client yeah so dealing with scope creep with a first-time developer or even an experienced developer um, whoever the owner side is it's a challenge it's a challenge because um, there's a lot that we want. There's a lot what we need. And during the natural course of design development, you, you know, you, the the conversation generates uh, new avenues to explore. So part of our job is not to be super restrictive on that because we do need to make sure that ultimately, you know, we're, we're getting the design and we're getting the product at the end that we want. And sometimes there has to be an iterative process to design and you need to be able to be a little bit agile, flexible in that way. Um, but so having the right amount of, uh, of pressure, I guess you could say, on uh, maintaining scope. So it is a challenge, certainly. Um, a big part of it, I guess, would be just following protocols. So we have change, uh, change management protocols, that kind of thing. So you can, we think of changes, change orders, typically in our industry with, um, with when you're in construction. I mean, it happens in design too, you know, additional scope. So you got to have a change order for your consultant team and all that. But, but treating additional scope that is added during design as a change as well. So going through the review process, uh, making a recommendation, having it approved, going through that process can actually help um, corral scope change or scope creep, I should say, and uh, keep you on track without necessarily stifling innovation and you know that iterative design process that sometimes is required. After you meet with the owner and design team, who's next? Yeah, so sometimes as a project manager, the next stakeholder will engage after the owner is the consultant, uh, the prime consultant, that'd be your design team is what I'm referring to. So we might come on with a design team already selected or we might be part of the request for proposal process, the RFP process to bring on a consultant. And if that's the case, um, it's important to be active in providing a um, good recommendation for the owner on who to bring on. And that that starts with your RFP, your request for proposal, making sure it's fulsome, that you really have an understanding, us, that we have an understanding of the scope when we put that out there so that we can select the right team. Uh, I think that there is like, in our industry, and I, I see that we're moving away from this, but traditionally there has been this idea of you have these 
different parties, these different entities that have competing interests, all trying to work together to do, you know, build this project. But, you know, we got to make sure that, oh, that person doesn't take advantage of this person and vice versa. The way we like to, I think, more, more modern project management and what we're seeing more and more in the industry and the way I subscribe to is that it is a collaborative approach. And so understanding the needs, the goals of your consultant team, your contractor team, which would be ultimately the next, maybe you bring them on for pre-construction, it's important because ultimately if your, your consultant is getting what they need, they are going to, if their goals, if, they're be, if we're helping them achieve their goals, they're gonna help us achieve our ultimate goal, which is to get the project built on time, on schedule, and to fulfill the owner's needs. It doesn't have to be an antagonistic relationship. I think, in fact, the best projects are run with that collaborative approach. You still need to keep uh, your your other stakeholders, your consultants, your contractors, anyone who is kind of uh, a vendor um, on track, in line, and you need to make sure you're advocating for your owner. But I think gone are the days where um, it's a gotcha kind of system where we're trying to um, squeeze the last drop out of you know everybody uh, also you know this industry is small and uh, you want to develop the relationships where you can trust the team to work with them again if you have a successful project the best thing you can do is invite them to participate in the next request for proposal or the bid so that you have that opportunity to um, build on that relationship build a reputation that this is a client you want to work with this is a project management firm you want to work with because they're going to understand our needs as well there's often a long list of stakeholders. How do you decide who you should be talking to or dealing with? Yeah, so once you have your consultant on board, the next stakeholder is kind of more of a, it's, it's more of a broad lens. And I should kind of go back a step too. Uh, with your owner stakeholder, we typically think of the person who's hired you, whoever that is. But there's really, like I said, if you're dealing with an institution, an organization, you might be dealing with several stakeholders. And during the design process, this is where you're going to be engaging with them a lot more. Um, and I mentioned the public, that's another aspect that, or another entity that you might be engaging with during design, you know, uh, during the uh, DP development permit process, you know, you're getting public review and all that kind of thing. But if you're during design development, it, you are looking to get input from users, you're looking to get input from whoever's affected by the project. Um, and that's why identifying stakeholders is so important because you need to know how much input each stakeholder needs to be providing and, and really kind of almost like in your mind weighting that input. So if we're, for example, let's say we're dealing with an institution, let's say we're dealing with a school like uh, SAIT, for instance, and we're building a new, um, a new building that's going to house a, um, you know, the media department or something like that. You know, you have the person who's engaged you. Uh, who's probably going to be on the executive side or something like that. But then what about the people who are going to actually operate in the building? Do we need to be talking about the instructors to understand what are their needs, what's worked in the past, what hasn't? Absolutely, I think so. You need to know from your client how much of that is uh, who to engage with, how much input you're going to be taking in, and then how much can we can, you know, there's always, I like to create lists of, you know, there's need to have, want to have, you know, and kind of like to have that kind of stuff. And then you need to prioritize those things and see how they fit in with your scope, your budget, and the other uh, stakeholders needs. It could be anyone from I can give you an example, we had a project, you know, a, a new greenfield building where uh, there was a landscaping component, and we didn't think, hey, maybe we should talk to the clients uh, existing 
maintenance provider, you know, the snow removal, all that. Does this landscaping make sense for them? Is there going to be difficulties with these paver types, that kind of thing? Um, so you'd be surprised the level of stakeholders that are involved. And that's why it's really important to not only identify stakeholders at the onset of a project, but as part of your project plan to continue to um, update and develop as, you know, things come up. You might not even think about that until you're well into design. Hey, that's that's a stakeholder that's going to be using the site, who's going to be contributing, and then ultimately will have an impact on the owner as well. So when you're coming up with a list of stakeholders, that process, um, like I said, can be iterative because there's going to be, you know, minor stakeholders that you think of at a later date uh, that come up organically. But the initial creation of that list should be a collaborative process with whoever's already engaged on the team, your internal team, and then the client-side team, whoever's brought you on. That's the first conversation you need to have. Who on your side do I need to talk to? Who's already being engaged? Um, creating a project directory is an important tool to, uh, and to, and to create that directory and to maintain that directory. So you want to make sure that you know who's who on the team, what are their you know, um, what's the role and all that. So that's that's in addition to, you know, creating your kind of stakeholder matrix. And from there, you can kind of work through, um, you know, creating your core team. And from that, the kind of who's being informed. So, you know, we have these racy kind of uh, uh, matrixes, responsible, accountable, consulted, informed. Um, other organizations may refer to them in different ways. But creating that and knowing who's who on that, who needs to be a uh, um, involved in the project, it's I guess it's kind of an iterative process where you're creating that list. But first and foremost, it's important to create that core team and somebody who has, if you're working with a larger owner group, an institution, someone who has institutional knowledge. In fact, uh, I can give you an, an example without naming the organization. Um, we started working on kind of a broad portfolio of projects for an organization. And what we found was really important was identifying key people in different departments, whether it be their internal PM office or whether it be somebody in logistics, for instance, somebody who just was around for a long time, who could be who we could reach out to be like, hey, who would be able to tell us about this? You know, so when you're dealing with larger institutions like that, it's important to kind of just get to know who's who, who's who at the zoo, as they say. In your experience, who's the most difficult stakeholder to get actively involved or tricky to deal with? On each individual project, you might have a stakeholder who's particularly tricky to deal with, who's a little bit, uh, who's harder to bring on board uh, in terms of the shared vision. Um, but ultimately, it's, I think, as a project manager, your job is to create trust. So we have to create a um, a framework of st a structure of organization and communication, open communication, that ultimately creates the trust that brings people who might be reluctant or maybe distrusting, whatever it is, who are difficult to deal with in some way, that will bring them on board. I find that personally creating structure and uh, showing that, you know, they're, that what they're saying, their needs and all that are not only being heard and understood, but are being documented, for instance. That's important. People, um, the, the, the stakeholders that we've engaged with have appreciated that structure. So some people might say, hey, you know, it's hard to bring on a contractor to your side. They're always looking for this or that. I don't find that is typically the experience. Um, and same thing with the consultant team. Maybe it's difficult to cons get consultants to do certain work or whatever it is. I don't find that either. I find that you just need to manage 
uh, your expectations and manage um, and make sure that they are feeling like they have a structure around them that is supportive and understanding, but also that is in some ways um, rigid because they want to feel like there's somebody in control. That's what we've, that's at least our experience, that what we found. Sometimes the public is a stakeholder. What methods do you use to get well-rounded engagement from them? Yeah, so when you're dealing with uh, projects that impact the public, um, which are most projects, but there are certain classes of projects that have maybe more impact. You know, when you're when we deal with projects that have affordable housing, potentially in inner city areas, that kind of thing, um, or even just uh, uh, multifamily in what is typically a single family kind of area, you might have strong opinions from the public and and the public has the means in some instances to really curtail your project, to, to stop it before it gets off the starting block, especially at that development permit stage. We've dealt with this on some projects. Um, it's, it's a uh, tricky situation. One of the best things you can probably do if you're in a situation where you're dealing with a, a particularly um, strong opinioned uh, public is to bring on an engagement consultant. So we've done this in areas where we have a very engaged uh, uh, public who um, has the means and the connections to, you know, in a smaller town, let's say, or something like that, to uh, put up roadblocks. And so we need to have buy-in and we need to understand what are their concerns. Are their concerns just not in my backyard? Is their concerns, hey, this is going to impact our parking? Or is this going to impact traffic? Is this going to impact the safety of our children? Whatever it is. I mean, there can be very valid reasons why they have concerns and we need to make sure that we're identifying those concerns empathizing with them uh, addressing them or uh, identifying if it is maybe something completely different and then we need to find ways to move forward uh, past that so when i say it might be something different it could be that i guess that's just a polite way to say that they just don't want it in their in their area Right. So it could be, hey, let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Let's see what kind of um, what kind of uh, deviations we're looking there. Like the project is applying for on their development permit. What can we grab onto to make sure this doesn't go forward? And in which case, you know, maybe then there's not an opportunity to resolve the issue just by um, you know addressing their issues it's you have to sometimes just deal with what are the rules what are the regulations so okay if we if we are submitting a development permit or something like that we want to make sure that our plans are um, that there's not going to be any we're not asking for any relaxations of of covenants or anything like that we're just submitting um, what we know can get through so that there's not an opportunity to maybe complain or something like that. Um, it's rare that these kind of things happen, but you know, there's the first step I think is really trying to be collaborative and trying to engage and get buy-in. We had a project I worked uh, with a team out in out west uh, that was involving at-risk youth, and so it was really important to engage the public early on and get that buy-in before we even got to any kind of permit stage. That's you know, the stakeholders for that are so important when we're talking about the end users that it's really important to make sure that the community wants that in their neighborhood, understands the importance of it, and has a sense of not ownership necessarily, but has a sense of um, that they participated in the process. What are the most important personal qualities in your job? Okay, so the, the most important personal qualities for a project manager, I think, are, are having um, 
well, first of all, you got to be well organized. And you, like I said, creating that structure is really important and showing that you have some sense of control of what's going on. And that really comes down to being organized, being on top of communication, being able to communicate well is really important. Uh, but when it comes to when we're talking about stakeholder engagement, another aspect is just being empathetic, being able to identify, like I said, what uh, what are the needs of everybody? What's everybody's goals? How do we work those goals together? And how do we go kind of move towards those uh, well? You know, it can be like things like the way you communicate in your emails, but let's talk about like sharing meetings, for instance, and that kind of thing. A lot of meetings now are virtual, but I, I, I make a point of, if it is virtual, making sure that my camera's on, and I want to encourage others to do the same. Because you get a lot from reading people's body language, from understanding if they're nodding their heads, or if maybe they're scrunching their faces, well, I don't agree with that. Or even if they just want to, you know, be able to speak. Knowing when to speak, when to shut up, for instance, is important as well as a project manager. Um, Asking questions, being curious, not being afraid to ask dumb questions. I think probably I could count, you know, up to five or six times a day that I'll say, you know, I want to ask the dumb question here. Excuse me, I'm going to ask the dumb question or whatever it is. And it's important because you have to know that if you're in a meeting with 10 people, let's say, and if you don't know something, there's a chance that someone else doesn't know. But I see it as our responsibility to make sure that if something's being talked about on a technical level or whatever it is or it's just out of your wheelhouse which is totally understandable we're dealing with people from totally different disciplines so it's unreasonable to expect us all to understand what's going on Um, but our job as kind of generalists is to know enough to ask the questions and to make sure that we're all on the same page hey are we considering this really simple thing Um, and and if not hey maybe that question is going to generate something else Knowing what not want to derail the conversation, of course, but just being not afraid to ask those questions. So that's really important, I think, as a project manager, not to let your ego get in the way. You know, you want to project confidence. You want to project like you you have a sense of control and, you know, you're organized, but you can't let that get in the way of asking questions and uh, being curious about what's going on. What is the most important day-to-day part of doing your job? For from a project management perspective, it's important to do your do do your work. So do the the work that seems boring and tedious. Oftentimes, we'll find with the junior staff, or even you know myself or other project managers, will think, ah, you know, got to do another project plan, got to do another charter, got to do another communications plan, or uh, a registry of you know RACI registry to identify responsible, accountable, consulted, informed, all that. It's important to do that work. It's important to document whatever your conversations you're having. It's important to make sure that not only are you having the conversations with the stakeholders, but again, you're documenting those and that everybody's on the same page. Because what can be said in a meeting might not, you know, we sometimes say things and then we reconsider. Let's make sure we're all on the same page when we move forward and we make decisions. So do the little work. Do the work that seems tedious and it's going to pay dividends in the end. It's going to help keep you organized. It's going to help keep you on track. It's going to help with scope creep, whatever it is. And especially it's going to help with uh, stakeholder management because you need to know what what everybody's looking to achieve and make sure that, hey, we can just do a quick gut check. Are we on track? Are we still achieving everybody's goals? Yes, we are. Great. Let's keep moving forward. Thanks to Harman Sandu for talking with us today about stakeholder engagement. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.